One of the themes of the Gospel of John, it's important in any writing to understand the major themes and what writers mean by particular words they use. One of the major themes of the Gospel of John is the word world. Um, in the first chapter, when it's talking about Jesus coming into the world, it, it talks about he, that the world was made by him and that the world knew him not. Uh, and then there's the reference in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Well, it's one of those words we need to understand because it can mean one of three things in Scripture. One of the minor things it means is the planet that we live on. You go bump into a tree, you've bumped into the world. Uh, you walk on the grass, we see the oceans. That's the created world planet. That's one of the words. It's used very seldom in Scripture, but it's there. The second world is us. In John 3.16, when it says, For God so loved the world, he's talking about us, humanity, human beings, mankind, if you will. But there's a third reference to the world that you need to understand because it's a major theme, especially when John in 1 John says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Because if any man Christian loves the world, the love of the Father is, well, obviously we're not talking about mankind anymore. We're talking about the system that Satan has set up on this earth to entrap and to keep lost humanity in a state of lostness. The enticements of the bait on the hook, if you will. We are living in a world that hates Jesus Christ. And when I say that, I'm talking about the system that the enemy has set up in this earth to trap us. Uh, he's used God-given things like the pleasure for music, the pleasure for competition, the pleasures of life, beauties of life. He has diverted and twisted and caused us to be so centered on those things rather than God that we never think of God. That's the world. And so when we get to the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ, in the Gospel of John, I want you to look down with me to verse, oh, let's say verse 11. Verse 11 says this in his prayer to the Father. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Well, there it is. I am no longer in this world system. I am no longer physically on this planet. But I'm leaving the men who have chosen to follow me in this mess, if you will. And he says, I am coming back to you, Father. Now, I'm really glad he did that. Because while he was here for those 30-some years, he was localized in Israel. But when he died and rose again, now he is able to be everywhere omnipresent to save us who have never been to the land of Israel. So he says to them, or actually he says to the Father, I am no longer in the world, but I'm leaving them. And then he says this, Holy Father, holy is the word hagios, and it means to be separated from. Now, it implies 
righteousness and sinlessness, but really the word means to be separated from. Separated from sin, separated from this world. He looks up to heavens and he calls his father, separated father, holy father. And this is what he prays. Keep them. Keep is the Greek word for to garrison about and to safeguard. To protect with guard. Keep them in your name, which you have given me. Now stop right there. If there were only one verse to talk about the eternal security of those who have come to Christ, the perseverance of the saints, the fact that once a person calls on Christ, he can never lose that salvation. This is the one verse. When Jesus prays to his Father, the prayer gets answered. Now, God always answers prayer. And for us, it's one of three answers for us. It's yes, you can have that. No, you cannot. Or you can have it now, maybe later. Yes, no, or wait. That's our answers. And we don't like those answers sometimes, but they are an answer, are they not? But when Jesus prays to his Father, it is only one answer that the Father answers. It's yes. With capital letters, with an exclamation point, a thousand times. When he prays, the Father says, yes, 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 yes. So you know when Jesus is praying to his Father, there's no waiting or no. He will accomplish this. Keep them in my name, in your name, with your power and your authority, which is limitless. Now I want you to think about all the movements that have happened through all the centuries of things that got started that fizzled out. The political movements, the religious movements. Think about all the things that men have started that are no longer, they're in the ash heap of of history. But the church of Jesus Christ, here over 2,000 years past the day of Pentecost, and here we sit, preserved in Jesus Christ. Now when you have to keep something, it implies that something wants to destroy it. We preserve meat in the freezer because it'll go bad. Or we salt it down. I recently had a steak at Longhorns. When it was brought to me, I thought they were preserving it for the 500 years. <laughs> Unedible it was, I sent it back and... Ah. We preserve things because there's a possibility of breakdown and spoiling. I recently set a trap for an armadillo in my backyard. With a good armadillo trap taken from my father-in-law, well, given to me from my father-in-law. It said the way you attract an armadillo is put something rotten in there. Nasty. Stinking. So I went in the refrigerator and got some smoked salmon and pulled the skin off the smoked salmon. Hard to keep the dog off out of that trap. Haven't caught him yet. 
We preserve things to keep them from spoiling. Listen to me. If Satan could have you, he would already have you. If the devil could slow you down, he'd have thrown you in the ash heap. He, he'd, have, he'd have ruined your life. Do you know that? Do you know there are demons and there's this spirit world and there's this world that wants to destroy you as believers in Jesus Christ? And the way we just keep smiling and keep moving and keep going and keep growing in faith, that is an answer to this prayer to keep them in his name. There it is. Let's read on. Notice in verse 12. While I was with them in this 30-some years, while I was with them, and really in two or three years he was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. Now the word keep there is again the garrison about. But notice it goes on, it says, I have guarded them. In the King James it's the same word keep, but in the original it's not. Keep in the first instance is to garrison about with a guard. Keep in the second, which the ESV has correctly changed to guarding them, is the idea of isolating a group. Simply isolating a group. I say that's important because of this. Judas was never part of the group to keep. It goes on and says this. I have kept them in your name that you have given me. I have guarded them. I have isolated them. And not one of them has been lost except the son, the old King James's perdition. The word means to destroy or son of destruction. Notice Judas is referenced as the son because his father is the father of destruction, which is Satan himself. Judas is a fascinating study that we won't enter into now, but Jesus references him as one who was never part of the original group who Satan used. Notice that the scripture might be fulfilled. And then in verse 13 it says, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, in the hearing of the disciples, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Now what is Jesus saying here? He's saying the prayer that I'm praying to you, Father, I'm praying out loud so they can hear it, so John can write it down, so we can read it. You ever bounced a prayer off the ceiling? There's an old expression, you bounce the prayer off the ceiling. Let me tell you what it sounds like. You're in a family gathering, perhaps, and it's time to say grace over the meal, and you bow your head and you pray like this. Lord, I want to pray for my wife's bitter attitude. Lord, she has been tormenting me for 40 plus years. Lord, if you can't change my wife, take her home to be with you. Now that's an extreme example, but how many of y'all have ever bounced a prayer off the ceiling? You didn't really intend for God to hear it. You just wanted to hear, have that person hear it. Well, here Jesus is not only praying to heaven, he's kind of bouncing one off the clouds back down to the disciples' ears. I want you to hear this. I want you to hear in the hearing of your hearing today that Jesus, as a gift, gives you to the Father, and the Father keeps you. 
that you can't lose what God has given you in salvation. You're set, you're secure, you're preserved in Jesus Christ. Notice he says, Now I am coming to you, that these, but these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy. Notice, not your joy. My joy. Fulfilled in them. Don't miss the order of that. Some of y'all are trying to find joy in this world. You're trying to find joy within yourselves. You're looking, you're chasing after a black cat in a dark room that's invisible. It isn't there. And no matter how much you try to find joy in the things you buy, the stuff you get, the people that you want to surround yourself with, There's no joy in that stuff. Get all alone and go up in the mountains and get into a cabin and try to find joy within yourself. Nothing's there. The secret is there is joy in God and God alone. And He fulfills His joy inside of me. Lord, if I could just have all the circumstances in my life just go right. If I could just have I could just eliminate three or four stupid people in my life. (laughs) Lord, if I just move over to a different community, get out of that neighborhood. Man, if I could just go to a different school, if I could just move to a different church, if I could just move to a different country. The problem is, when you get there, you'll be there. (laughs) You'll mess it all up. Quit trying to move somewhere else. There's no joy in any of that. He said, it is my joy in them. That tells me this. Joy comes from a vital connection with God and Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't care about your happiness. He wants to plant his joy inside of you. Notice verse 14. I have given them your word. Now notice, it's not plural, it's singular. In the first chapter of John, it says, The word was made flesh. I believe literally, Jesus is telling the Father that the Father has given us Jesus Christ. The legalists would look at this and find... And, and believe that this is the words of the Word of God. And when we obey and submit to the Word of God, we will have all these things. Well, the problem is, I'm placed back in that equation again. And I'll, and I'll fail it. Notice there are no strings attached to any of this prayer. Notice there's no place where it says, if they do this, then I'll do that. It is all about what God, Jesus is asking God to do for us. And I submit to you, every bit of that prayer is being answered right now. In fact, I think he's praying the same prayer in heaven right now for us and has been for 2,000 years. Notice he said, I have given them your word, meaning myself, and the world has hated them. Please let that sink into your ears. Please never try to make nice with a world that hates you. 
Do you understand? It hates Jesus Christ. When the church has become a friend of the world, it means it has compromised its message about Jesus Christ. A church that's more involved in trying to embrace the world around them, be world-friendly, is not a church of Jesus Christ. Now, we're not antagonistic against them. They hate us because of the message that we share. That there is nothing in this world that satisfies. That this world is under the dominion of Satan, our enemy. You come to church, you want to hear a clear message about Jesus Christ who is in opposition to the world that we live in. There is so much of Christian stuff going on, quote, unquote, trying to either embrace the world or fix the world. It's, it's paramount to try to fix a hole in the side of the Titanic. This world is going to hell in a handbasket. And it is, Satan is using this world to drag as many people down into the pit. My goodness, get in the lifeboat of Jesus Christ and sail as far away from the Titanic as you possibly can. God has never been in the business of trying to fix this world or build up nations within this. There's only one nation that God ever recognized as his nation, and it is not America. It is Israel. When Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of God is here. He is involved in building his kingdom, not this country. Now God wants to use this country to preach the gospel, but if you haven't looked around lately, it's not very friendly to the gospel. Okay, I'll get off of that. Verse 14. Notice the world has hated them because they are not of the world. In the same way, I am not of this world. What is God doing in this world? He is not propping up any nation. He is reaching those who can come to Christ and be born again. If you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, never had that moment where you cried out to Him and said, Jesus, save me from my sin. God is searching for you, looking for you, tugging on your heart. That is what He is doing in this world. He is building His church. And as soon as everybody who's going to get saved gets saved for the church, He'll take it up out of this world. You ever wonder why when people get saved, they just don't drop over and dead? He leaves us here. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Did you hear so-and-so? Yeah, they got saved. Well, yeah, they died. Well, of course they died. They got saved. God just took them out of this world. Notice what he says. He says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world. I do not ask that they create little Christian cubby holes all over the world and hide in those cubby holes. I do not ask, Father, that you take them out of the world. I want them slap in the middle of the world. 
Rebecca Manley Pippet years ago wrote a book called Rabbit Hole Christianity. And she accused the church, fittingly so, that Christians hide from the world. They create rabbit holes of Christian communities. And they jump from rabbit hole to rabbit hole, running, 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 lest they get in contact with someone in the world and jump into the hole they do. I remember when my dad got saved, he was working up at a snack bar at a college. He said, Mike, I can't wait to get out of here. There's so much sin. In my, I, never, I don't think I ever said it to dad, but I thought maybe that's where God absolutely wants you in the middle of that snack bar to stay college to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't save us to take us out of the world, my friends. He saved us to stay in the world to preach the gospel. But Christians have done that. They've created a Christian subculture. But, well, notice, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. He says it twice. A person who has chosen to follow Christ has no business in the lures and temptations of this world. So let's all join a monastery. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We move and... And by the way, notice the distinctiveness that God calls us. We are in the world. Notice he says, he said, sanctify them. Set them apart in the truth. He does not say set them apart in the clothes they wear. He does not say sanctify them by the type of haircut they have. Set them apart whether they have a beard or not or a goatee. Sanctify Christians so everybody can see that they're not Christians by outward appearances. No, no, no. Christians ought to look stylish. They ought to look within their culture like everybody else. The difference is he sets us apart by the truth of Jesus Christ who lives in us. That's how we are sanctified. That's how we are set apart. There are Christian circles where you see someone out at the mall and you go, yeah, I know what church they go to. He never meant for us to look like that, to look different. We're a peculiar people, but we're not to be peculiar, if you know what I mean. Then he says this, sanctify them in the truth, your word, Christ is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. Now, I could camp on this. The time's getting short. I need to wrap this thing up, but listen to me. How did God send Jesus into the world? He sent him, first of all, in poverty, in a manger. Jesus had none of this world's goods. In the same way that God sent Jesus into this world, he sends us. Never buy into this idea where God's going to elevate you through all this stuff you get by perfect health. That's a lie. He sent him to live for 30 years in an ordinary town doing an ordinary job in obscurity. Are you listening to me? If, we'd sent, if we were God and we sent our son, would we send him in a manger? Would we have him quiet for 30 years up in the backwaters of Nazareth 
building tables. No, we would not. You ever get tired of your ordinary job and what you feel like is an ordinary life in a dusty shop? And, and, and there's, this is how he sends us into the world. This is how he sends us. In the ordinary flows of life in the same way. Three things. Number one. We are kept by the Father while we're in this world. We are kept by the Father. If you know Christ, you are saved, you are born again, and the Father keeps you in this world. I talked recently with a farmer out in the country who was raising chickens. And um, he had a problem with a fox on the property. And he'd gotten some young chicks and raised them in an incubator. And raised him up to a particular level, about half grown. He couldn't put him with the full-size chickens yet because the full-size would kill him. And that's what they do. Chickens are just a nice crowd. And so he put uh, these half-grown chickens under the chicken coop and fixed a barrier wall that buried itself into the ground. Fox couldn't get under it. One night the fox came, true story, and dug under that wall but couldn't get his body under that wall. So he dug up with his claws and created a hole underneath that chicken house. And every time those young chickens aren't the smartest animals, I've never seen them in a, you know, circus, the chickens would come along and one would drop into the hole. And when he did, the fox got him. By the time the farmer got up the next morning, 19 out of 20 chickens were gone. I want you to know that the fox is very... Wily. Satan is very clever. He creates holes for Christians. But I want you to know that when you get close to one, there's a heavenly hand that reaches down and snatches you out of that hole. He cannot touch you. He cannot get to you. Number two. He has left us here for the particular purpose to glorify Him. Get that down in your mind. When you died, you just didn't drop dead because He has you here, and He does not have you here, so all of your life will be just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. Some of you over the years have lost loved ones, family. Some of your hearts have been torn out by tragedy. God has allowed these things. What is God doing in these circumstances that all of us go through? He is desiring to glorify himself, not you, him. That's why he left you here. He gets to choose that path. He gets to choose that path. Let me give you one more. The joy that we experience in this life is wrapped up in fellowship with the Father. That's where your joy is. The joy that Jesus had every day wasn't in working with his men. It's not in ministry. It's every day he had fellowship with his Father. So when you wake up tomorrow morning, there's nothing you need but fellowship with God, and that is absolutely offered and provided for you. You don't need people to say the right thing all day long. Because I tell you what people do. This is what we look like after the world gets done with us. That's Benny after a weekend at Pop and Kiki's. If you notice, Landon's still moving behind him. They ran head to head in each other. 
<laughs> That's what the world does to us. That's what you can expect from your neighbors, your boss. I mean, we don't look like that at the end of the day, but you ever felt like that? Gives us a black eye. God doesn't keep us from the black eye, but let me tell you what he does. That's the next morning. God didn't take away his black eye. In fact, Betty couldn't even see out of his eye. But look in the midst of a black eye. Look at the joy that he had hanging on to his cousin. That's a picture of the joy we have. God doesn't eliminate the black eyes of life, but he embraces you in it, and as you fellowship with him, that's the joy you can experience. I'll tell you a closing uh, part of that story that's kind of, kind of fun. Um, as Benny's eye was swelling, and I was holding ice down to it, and it was quite a deal. Of course, he was terrified, and Lorelai was holding his hand. She thought he was going to die. And so as I was talking to him on the couch with the, with the ice, you know, I was saying, Benny, Benny, man, black eyes are cool. I say, you're friends. You, you, you know, you got to think of a good story. I said, the girls love black eyes. I mean, the whole thing is it's going to be a good thing. Well, he wasn't buying it. He wasn't, you know what I mean? He was like, and he was quiet. And finally, after about 30, 40 minutes, this is what he said to me. He said, he said, I, I, I think, I, I think I could, I think I could, I think I could live with a black eye. I think, and I didn't know what he meant. But later on that night, as I was tucking him in, it occurred to me as I was talking more to him that he really thought that that black eye was permanent. Like for the rest of his life, it would be swollen. For the rest of his life, he would look like that. It's amazing, little kids, we, you know, we, we assume, we're like, well, it's only, they don't know that. So he was accepting this situation for all of his life when he said, I think I can live with that. Listen, Christian, we don't live forever with that. We don't. And just like I told Benny, it's only for a short time. A couple weeks, enjoy the ride. You'll look like you always looked before. Listen, Christian, that black eye is not forever. You will heal. God will heal. God always heals the Christian. Whether the healing comes in this life or that life, he'll heal us. And we will not look like that for all eternity. Thank God for this prayer and this part of the prayer that Jesus bounced off a cloud to tell us certain things about his love for us and our preservation in God.